0: Geopolitics and Empire is joined by John Kleizik, author of School World Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education. He has an MA in English and has taught college rhetoric at Research Argumentation for over eight years. His liter- literary scholarship concentrates on the history of global eugenics and Aldo Huxley's dystopic novel, Brave New World. Good afternoon, John. How is life in the Brave New Normal? <laughs>
1: It's, it's doing all right. I've managed to dodge the jams and stay employed and, uh, you know, doing my thing with Unlimited Hangouts. So it's as, it's as good as I could hope
0: so so far uh so good that's all we can do is 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 hang in there um so i have been following your stuff for for years uh um I, I love the work that you do and you know in in one sense uh, I, I, mean, I i give you this compliment um I, I feel that you you the baton has been passed on to you from charlotte uh, iserbita and and uh john taylor gatto and um, there's very few people continuing their line uh, of work and I, I know charlotte has given you Access to to her archives. So again, I, th- I think you're doing uh, great work, and I just got your book, uh, and I'm going through it, and so I, I highly recommend it to people. And you know, just to start, I thought we could kind of begin to talk by looking at the the history, the the foundations. You know, both of us have worked in the field of education for many years. Uh, we were just talking. It was funny that you, I mean, you're from Illinois as, as as I am. So you know, what what a small world. And so we worked as teachers, educators, professors, and. We've cut our teeth, uh, as I mentioned, reading the heavyweights uh, who's who have exposed the true nature of the education system: Charlotte, Iserbeet, John Taylor Gatto, Anthony Sutton, uh, and and, and uh, others. Um, and Isabih writes in, in the intro to your book that quote: "Their plot, uh, initiated in the early 1800s, has aimed to twist American education." into a weapon that destroys our constitutional rights. This plan uses so-called education to put the world under a lifelong Pavlovian Soviet-style planned economy funded by government and tax exempt foundations, end quote. So maybe to start, tell us about, you know, the foundations of this totalitarian technocratic educational model that we're seeing now, you know, from its Prussian roots down through the creation uh, of UNESCO, and then later we'll pick up on the fourth industrial revolution stuff.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. And that's a good place to start. So, uh, if we want to start with the Prussian education system, it really gets traced back to, uh, Johann Gottlieb Fichte, And, uh, basically he came up with, um, well, it was him that came up with the dialectic that was borrowed by Hegel later. Um, but after, um, uh, the war with Napoleon, they found that the, uh, uh the soldiers didn't want to, uh, wouldn't sort of just run into the bayonets blindly, right? And so uh, the idea for FICT was to change the education system to sort of um, largely, you know, hamstring free will and and consciousness in a way where they would be reflexive to whatever orders they, they were given. Um, and you can, that, that system sort of gets a scientific uh, approach Developed later with somebody called Wilhelm Wundt. And this is where this is going to get into the Pavlovian stuff that that Charlotte mentions. Okay. Uh, And so, Wilhelm Wundt, he started the first, the world's first uh, psychology laboratory. Before that, psychology was a subdiscipline of philosophy. And he came up with this idea of stimulus response uh, conditioning. Okay. And this is the roots of classical conditioning. Uh, That's through Pavlov's dog type stuff. And then later you've got, uh, it gets evolved into behaviorism. So they start to play with uh, punishment and reward cycles more. And then after that, it becomes operant conditioning uh, with B.F. Skinner. And that's the basis for uh, the modern day teaching machines in the program instruction through what's today called the adaptive learning software and so um another place to to start with that or to tra- to bring that system in uh, leipzig germany and bring it back over to the united states has to do with the order of skull and bones which uh charlotte thompson is beat her her uh, dad and her grandfather were both in the order uh, she's the one that leaked the address books to anthony sutton uh, actually, I had a, I had the physical copies for a while. She let me borrow them. I, I scanned them into my uh, database, which is available on my website. Uh, and so you can actually check those out. Um, but um, what the order did, the order was originally a, a German secret society that got transferred over to the United States. And so you had people like uh, William Huntington Russell and then Alfonso Taft were the founders. And then later you had people like Daniel Quake Gilman, uh, Andrew Dixon White, and Timothy Dwight, who would start the, uh, they would found basically the, the American university system. They started a lot of the most prestigious colleges like Cornell University, Johns Hopkins University, uh, University of California, Berkeley. And they were really big into uh, Hegel's philosophy and in particular the dialectic, right? So synthesis, antithesis I'm sorry, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Um, And so they imported both the Hegelian philosophy, but also uh, Wunst's stimulus response psychology. And so they sort of amalgamated those two approaches and they brought them over to the United States. And so it was uh, Daniel Quake Gilman who also hired G. Stanley Hall to be the first American professor of psychology at Johns Hopkins University. And G. Stanley Hall was the first American to earn a PhD under Wundt. And then later he would, um, he, he someone of his students was John Dewey. Uh, John Dewey would then later uh, teach John B. Watson. John B. Watson is the guy uh, who comes up with behaviorism. So there's a pretty straight line from Fitz and his dialectic for this reflexive education uh and then try, uh, tying that into this stimulus response method where basically uh instead of you know trying to approach learning through cognition and consciousness it's just you set up the learning environment in a way where there is sort of this uh reflexive response to the learning stimuli uh and then collectivizing that with hegel's approach and bringing it over here Uh, for workforce training basically and then that you know in the early 20th century had the the rockefeller foundation and other you know carnegie uh, foundation setting up these workforce training programs or curriculums that would also integrate uh the 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 hegelian collectivism and also the uh, stimulus response psychology
0: yeah and just kind of to comment on, on on that kind of system i mean we're we're both teachers, educators, professors, and you know we've we've both been students uh, all of our lives, you know, grade school, high school, university, and just looking back now, and I think uh, most of the stuff that I learned about you know international affairs and geopolitics was I, I just learned outside of the classroom, just reading like a, like a madman on my own. I think about when, how I learned the guitar. I I taught you know through the internet. I self taught uh, the guitar, and it, it seems like. Uh, a lot of the the best learning happens outside of these systems, and 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 maybe to get your comment on that, like in the classroom, it's very rote, it's, it's very robotic. It's just you know multiple choice. Uh, the, the the school and the teachers tell you what to think, they tell you what what to learn, and there's there's it's like not a natural learning environment. I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a very similar experience. I mean, certainly everything I just said, it was not taught in a school, right? So. Uh, and then in generally, I'm sort of like you, you know, I mean, self-taught musician, um, you know, a lot of the martial arts that I learned over the years. I mean, I, I went to, you know, Thai Boxing Association. I went to, to you know, Dojong and got my black belt. But a lot of what I really learned was at college. This was during the early days of mixed martial arts. I w- we would go to the wrestling room and different people had different styles. and we would just try stuff out. And, you, you know, those were my greatest learning curves were always outside uh, of the, uh, the, the official curriculum. And and you're right. I mean, especially when you're talking about standardized tests, so, you know, multiple choice matching, uh, but even short answer and and essays, right. I've noticed that, uh, you know, when I was in college, I largely was, you know, just trying to kind of, I, I focused a lot on martial arts, but for the most part, you know, I was just trying to kind of, you know, get by. And I, 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 uh, um, the, what I know, was that, you know, an easy way to get an A was largely just to repeat what the lecture said. You know, it wasn't to, it wasn't to take whatever angle I actually, you know, had in my mind, or it would take some sort of new approach, you know, it was largely, and that's, that's not short answer where you can like run it through a scantron, but it still is very stimulus response. I tell you this, you repeat it back. So yeah, that's that I, I would agree.
0: All right. And so, so you kind of told us about, you know, how this all started in the 1800s and in early 1900s from europe getting over to to the us uh and then where does unesco fit in you know what happens when you know unesco is created um was it bertrand we had bertrand russell and aldo Huxley and his brother and, and all these folks uh what happens when unesco appears on the scene you know with education
1: well, one thing that's interesting to note since we started with the Order of Skull and Bones is that so you mentioned Julian Huxley and he writes uh, the founding document for UNESCO. That's uh, uh, UNESCO, its purpose and its philosophy. But but then he also co-authored the UNESCO Constitution with Archibald McLeish, who was a member of the Order of Skull and Bones. And so one of the things that you can look at if you uh, take a take a look at a copy of uh, UNESCO, its purpose and its philosophy, is that julian wanted to integrate eugenics a global eugenics system he literally says to the effect that we need to basically he says that uh, you know the 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 hitler stuff was bad that the the you know the race hygiene stuff was bad but we still need to improve the genetic or the biological quality of people so we need to sort of uh play with the rhetoric so that he says quote the unthinkable can again become thinkable so and then and then if you if you read it there's also ties And he also ties into that, uh, this idea of, you know, the this new sustainability movement, he he talks about uh, maintaining the global population at an optimum uh, population size. Um, And so that's your Malthusian component to the eugenics. And so uh, another thing that comes out of that is something called lifelong learning. That's that's later, that's a a few few decades later, but this concept of lifelong learning, and and you see that buzzword a lot, just kind of like slipped into like education bills, or, you know, new programs that come down through the Department of Education or or the faculty stuff, you know, in a given school. Um, And, you know, uh, as we just mentioned, right, I mean, learning, you know, if you're an autodidact, learning is lifelong, right? You and I are still learning all the time, right? And we're doing it every day on our own. We enjoy it. Um, but but when they're talking about lifelong learning, they mean institutional lifelong learning, meaning what that means is continual retraining uh, to keep up with the the uh, industrial or the the, the uh, evolution of the global economy. And so uh, you know now we're, we've got this fourth industrial revolution coming, and so you know we're going into this digital economy. and so you know you can you can really think about what that means now. I mean, Back in the day, you know, before all this, you know, this virtual world was being built, it might have been harder to conceive of like how am I, how am I going to be retrained into my twilight years? I mean, what am I going to be doing differently that I, you know, a skill or or a career that I haven't already cultivated? Well, now that you can see that, like the very, uh, you know, this. The, education itself, like I've been teaching for 10 years now. And now I have to get retrained to do these virtual modules, even though I've been doing them for almost two years now, because of the lockdowns, I still have to go back and and redo them if I want to keep teaching on them, which is the only way I'm going to keep teaching because I'm not going to get the jab. Uh, And so that's, you know, that's the little pocket that I can have in the meantime. And so uh, along with that lifelong learning, to retrain you to fit into this digital economy, that that's going to fit into also this idea of transhumanism, which which blossoms out of the eugenics movement, and it was again Julian Huxley who coins that term in a book called New Bottles for Wine. So that so the eugenics agenda and the lifelong learning from the in UNESCO sort of it, it all sort of comes together in this fourth industrial
0: revolution. Yeah, and where I was working, I was working at the top, you know, educational. Um, uh, you know secondary system in in Kazakhstan and we were attending the annual conferences where all the top names globally in internet uh, in education were 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 coming and 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 speaking and we always had these terms, key terms, bandied about, right? Lifelong learning, all these other t- teachers around me, and on its face, it doesn't sound bad, right? But it always has a double meaning, as as you pointed out. And it's not like, of course, I, we learn our whole lives as human beings; we never stop learning. Lifelong learning, of course, but as you say, no, it's a controlled lifelong learning by them through the institutions. And when I was working at the top uh, educational system here in Mexico. Uh, As professors, teachers, every semester we were required to take like, I don't even remember. First, it was like 80 hours of capacitation or or, or what do you call it? Training uh, per semester. And then they knocked it down to 40. So you were required to constantly take these training programs which who knows where they're coming from, right? From the same global institutions that that you talk about that that filter on down and they're constantly forcing us to do this. Um, And even now, you know, we have the whole Coursera stuff. So as we move into this online digital system, we have to get our little badges and certifications from, you know, Bill Gates foundation funded Coursera or, 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 or whatever. Um, Before we kind of move on, move forward into the fourth industrial revolution uh, topic, I just kind of want to take a pause and get your take on, how do you, how would you explain the new world order? You know, is, is it a world state? Is it a is it a world government? Uh, is it a synthesized version of fascism uh, and communism? And, you know, how close are we or not to living under this totalitarian global system? How do you kind of see that from your perspective?
1: I, w- I would say that the, pretty much all of those elements that you just noted sort of come together in it. And so I would, I would look at it sort of like, you know, a, they like the term global governance instead of world government because world government sounds like this one monolith and in some ways it sort of is but really what it what it is and is more of why they use that term uh, governance is sort of a federation of these these NGOs and these uh, intergovernmental uh, uh, international institutions like so you've got UNESCO and then all the various other United Nations branches. You've got the World Health Organization. Then you've got your international finance, like your IMF, your World Bank, your International uh, Bank of International Settlements. Okay, and, and then you've also got these other roundtable groups that sort of float around that. So you've got, uh, the, which would be these NGOs like the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations. World Economic Forum, Chatham House, which is the Royal Institute of International Affairs, okay, and 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 in all of these all of these institutions, which sort of swap notes and, and are usually either partnering or at least have the same agenda, uh, what you have is uh, groups of heads of state, uh, corporate moguls, you know, heads of media, you know, they they even had the Pope went to the Bilderberg meeting of a couple of years ago, at least it might have even been, you know, ever since. Um, but you, but you basically have all of these key players, uh, both nationally and internationally getting together and sort of just deciding how they want to plan the global economy through all these different, um, you know, these, these different UNESCO programs. And so um, are we, how close are we? Mm, I'd say we're pretty, <laughs> we're pretty much all, I, Almost there, if not there, like, like, I think we kind of are there, you know, Uh, and what's funny is like, you know, I, after, you know, COVID, uh, you know, know, I, I'd, I'd look at like UNESCO programs, and then oh, we've got this new UNESCO thing and then it's like you go to the to the school that day and Everything is largely the same, right? Nothing's changed. I mean, they might notify you in an email or something. Hey, we got the new UNESCO program, but it's like everything kind of is the same. But now with the lockdowns, you can really see how each nation state, what we're doing from the lockdowns to the vaccination, to the SDG movement that's now you know the COP26, they're all on board with the same thing all these nation states don't actually necessarily get along. They're not all, you know, on the same axis. So why are they all doing the same thing? Because they're all following the directives of the World Economic Forum, United Nations, World Health Organization. So, you know, now it's to the point where when when that stuff is announced internationally, you can really see it right on the ground floor in the school that you're at. And so that's why I say, I think we're pretty much there at this point.
0: I would agree with you. Uh, And when I tell people, you know, we're in the world government. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't see it. I'm like, like, we're already in it. And now what we're going to start to see is the layers peeling back. Like, we're already inside it. A- and in the months and years ahead, it's going to become more obvious. And sometimes I get angry. I'm patriotic for, for my for my three countries that I'm a citizen of. But I've kind of stopped celebrating, you know, national holidays when they, when they bring out the flag. I'm like, I can't do it anymore because we don't have our nations anymore. They are, we are, as you described, we're effectively under the control of global, you know, organizations and and, and systems, you know, they're, they're laying it across all all, all nations. And I I just kind of get, I get angry. (laughs) Like, what's the point of celebrating our national holiday if, I mean, you guys don't even realize that we don't have control of sovereignty anymore of our own uh, nation states. So, um, Maybe to move forward, your latest piece that you wrote for Whitney Webb's Unlimited Hangout, which is great. Uh, I've interviewed her. um, And your piece talks about how the education system is pushing vaccine mandates that will create the digital IDs, which will become the fully-fledged social credit system. Could you kind of um, break this down for us? Yeah, and I can even, you know,
1: it's a nice segue because so – it's a series now at this point. So it's three parts in and I'm working on the fourth one. It's uh, the series is called Teach-nocracy. Uh, and in the first two, I looked at the role of uh, the American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association respectively, in terms those are the United States's two largest education unions. And I believe that the NEA is the largest union period in the country um, and, and therefore has a lot of lobbying power. Okay. Uh, and then the third in the third piece. So so in the first two, I looked at the history of those uh, those institutions and and uh, you know they, unions are supposed to be you know the, the working class front against uh, corporate power and corporate domination, right? It's supposed to give us some place to to bargain. But my my research shows that both of these unions have been very cozy with uh, Rockefeller Foundation, IBM. Uh, And and several other uh, big tech companies uh, moving, moving into uh, the the current state with uh, now the NEA is uh, endorsing UNESCO's Global Education Coalition, which is a coalition of a bunch of big tech companies, including Google, IBM and Microsoft. And the Sesame Workshop, McGraw Hill, and then if you take a look at those companies and who they partner with or who they're financed, I mean, it's the whole it's it's the whole cast of characters, right? I mean, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, everything you can think of. It so you know D two L, Blackboard, they're all tied tied together in some way, uh, and so uh, you know my my research showed that it, the way I got into it was. Uh, what had happened not to, I think, back in March was the CDC was going to roll back their uh, COVID restrictions and they were going to let in-person learning happen. And they were going to roll back the six-foot distance, uh, social distancing to three foot. And then they, um, they also were going to say that they didn't have to lock back down regardless of what level of community transmission uh, could be documented at a given time. Well, what happened was the AFT and the NEA both lobbied the CDC to say, no, don't do that. We want you to keep it at six foot and we want some provisions where we can lock back down. Now, what we've all been told is to shut up and follow the science, right? And and that means that that doesn't just mean don't rebut it and come with a comment. It means don't even ask a question about it, right? I mean, if you or I did that, we'd be called like anti-science, fake news or, or whatever, uh, but for some reason, the NEA and the AFT, which are not medical experts, were able to lobby for that, actually get some of the language put in place, and uh, and not be not be called out for it. Now, I mean, you know, some people like me and you have, but I mean, in the in the larger media, uh, you know, no no real recourse. And so, you know, I looked at that and I said, well, wh- what's the, why? What's the incentive? But, you know, they tout public health justifications, and, and that could be. Uh, but knowing the history of these unions and, and how they've, uh, they've, been, they've been partnering with Rockefeller Foundation, working with uh, uh, social impact investments, uh, IBM, you know, the NEA had a, a, a educational implications of automation project in the 1960s that was funded with an unlimited grant by IBM. And then uh, it's on my database. You can check it out. There's a, about a 700 page document. Uh, where their Department of Audiovisual Instructions, (DAVI) is the short acronym for it. Uh, it's a source book. And basically, it's like a little manual for how to implement teaching machines. And in it, has, uh, it's edited by two, two folks. So you've got Robert Glazer and A.A. Lumsdane. And these two guys are rock stars in behavioral psychology and programmed instruction uh. uh it was um, not Lumsdane, but Glazer, who got the E.L. Thorndike Award, who was a predecessor of B.F. Uh, Skinner, is another behaviorist. He also got the James McKean Cattell Award. James McKean Cattell, is the guy that hired E.L. Thorndike to do his puzzle box experiments that became uh, the, the predecessors to the Skinner box experiments. And James McKean Cattell himself was a Ph.D. of Wilhelm Wundt. So we're going right back to where we started. Okay, and then other uh, elements of this document were um, it was uh, aided uh, or or they consulted with uh, Office of the Navy, the Air Force, and then the Human Resources Research Organization. And then it's got a series of articles by B.F. Skinner and uh, Sidney L. Pressy, who was the who's actually the real originator of teaching machines. B.F. Skinner really just just kind of got them. prototyped and popularized okay and so that's just an example of you you move to you move forward and what are they doing at this moment in time well they want to return on their own investment right and so if you can tell them that they have to either lock down during high levels of community transmission or if you can keep the distance at six foot um as you know right in a classroom if you want to fill up the whole classroom you got you're you're gonna have it can't be six feet right? Those desks are probably roughly about three feet apart. Okay. If it's six feet, you're going to have to stagger the desks. If you stagger the desks, now you have to do hybrid learning, meaning half the class is in person on one day. And then on alternating days, the other class comes in. And when this, whenever either uh, group is not in the classroom, they're at home virtually, which means this is a way to wedge in all the virtual ed tech uh to get that to get the return on on the investment uh over these several these several years and then the other the other thing i'm working on now uh i'm hoping to get it done within the next week or two uh is that both uh the aft and the nea they're both part of an international union called education international i want to say it's a so it's a global union federation it's 200 plus other unions from various other countries are a part of this. And there's several members who are also members of the World Economic Forum. So that includes Sharon Burrow, and she's from either Australia or New Zealand. Uh, then you have um, Susan Hopgood. Then you also have David Edwards, and he was formerly the NEA. You also have uh, Randy Weingarten is a member of it right now. And she's the president of the AFT, Lily Eskelin Garcia. Uh, she is also a member of it. And then you've got Robert Harris. And then the people that set it up, the first people to formulate it were the heads, the presidents of the AFT and the NEA at the time, Mary Fattrell and Albert Shanker. And so this goes back to what we were mentioning earlier, right? So, so, Uh, If you look at Education International, they they have not quite said mandate it, but they're like, we've got to get the vaccine to every student and every teacher. okay? and so that policy, again, and we know that the World Economic Forum and UNESCO are all about it. So in other words, when the NEA and the AFT, now that the mandates have come out, now that they're basically saying, yeah, we're all for it. I mean, again, you know, maybe they, you know on their own, like the idea of mandates, but it certainly is still in line with the World Economic Forum and UNESCO, which they both basically partner with. And once they get that block, uh, once they get that mandatory vaccine in right now, you know, they got these flimsy little cards. Eventually, and probably sooner or later, and I see, I think this is the way it'll go. They'll go, there's too many people faking their cards. We gotta get something digital and it needs to be really secure. So we're gonna make it blockchain like the IBM Excelsior pass that they use in New York. Once you've got that blockchain digital ID and you have to carry it everywhere you go, now you can expand that out. You can integrate the ed tech data from all those different, you know, Microsoft, you know, Teams, Google Classroom, IBM's Watson Adaptive Learning. You can take all the cognitive behavioral psychometrics, which is, again, it's that, it's the data that you get from the stimulus response conditioning on a feedback loop, and then also they add social emotional learning into it. And eventually they'll get into something called precision medicine, which is going to look at your DNA. They'll aggregate all that data and that data in combination with your health status, also your workforce credentials. You mentioned the digital badges. All this stuff is going to determine your access, not just to the classroom, but to your job. Obviously, we already see that with, you know, how many all the people that got fired who didn't want to get the job. So we're talking the beginning of social credit. Right. We're talking the beginning of bringing in the social credit system from China, which has been financed by BlackRock and Salesforce, which are American companies. And Salesforce is connected to the UNESCO Global Education Coalition. And, you know, once once they have that. So basically, that vaccine passport is going to be a Trojan horse to integrate the social credit system for ubiquitous data mining, integrating the ed tech.
0: It's, I mean, it's daunting. It's It's absolutely insane. And h- how people don't understand this, like, we're on the cusp. Th- this system gets installed. It's like, you're completely screwed. It's like, you think wrong, think. I don't care what it is, whether it's like you, you are of a certain spiritual or religious faith, or you disagree with the government, or their health policy, or cultural policies, like, they can get you in, in anything. And as you said, just... Turn off your access to work, to finances. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts there? I mean, if just taking it further, like, what, how would you see this system when it's in place?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, so you know, um, when when I the reason why I even f- focus so much on that social credit systems because as I wrote the book. I'm just looking at one thing I'm looking at, okay, well, they're going to use Watson to, to do this cognitive behavioral conditioning. And then it's going to data mine that to improve itself. So I'm like, okay. And then, you know, okay. So the social emotional learning, which is basically mental health data. So I'm going wait, wait, now you're getting into healthcare in the school. I'm like, that's not, you can't do that. Like they're, they're supposed to be firewalls and, and regulations for that and something like oh, how are they how are they going to get to that point and <laughs> here comes covid so i thought it would be this you know this piecemeal legislation over time and they just basically are going to ram it all through at once but when when i saw the social credit system uh there's a journeyman tv documentary that you know walks through a couple case studies of people you know when one person's got really high scores a couple other people that are blacklisted but when i saw that right and it was looking at everything that they do online. Uh, you know, and their their health data, their workforce data, education data, how they behave in public through bio, uh, biometric facial recognition cameras in three D space in real time. All of that is going to determine, you know, what how much food costs. Do you go to the back of the line at the healthcare store and when uh, or the healthcare uh, the hospital? And when I saw it, I said, "That's this is what it looks like." When they Once they finally get to aggregate all that data and track it and basically put you on a career pathway or some other conditioning program, this is what it looks like. And so I was like, this is, they're beta testing it over there, piloting it, and they're going to try to bring it back. And, and, you know, you can already see other ways that it's being set up beyond what I just described in the educational system. And that is, you know, th- through all the censorship we're seeing on social media, and, you know, uh, a lot of the, the, you know, the, the woke rhetoric, which is like a gotcha rhetoric, right. It's not like, you know, if you wanted to point out racism to like try to persuade someone to not be racist, that would be one thing, but it's, it's more about you're racist, you're canceled, you're bad. So it's, it's all about censoring and, you know, and, and the other thing is, as far as the, the woke stuff goes, you know, that's, uh, it makes it easier for machine learning. Right. Like you have to, if you start with general categories, like you could put different groups of people in these categories. Now all the various little individual data points based on whatever they post and you know all the stuff that we just mentioned, um, it makes it easier to organize and aggregate, you know, the myriad individual data points. So so um so you can see it in the social media, you know. You can see it in the in the education system. You can see it in the vaccine passports. It's it's already creeping in 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 uh, in various ways, and eventually, it'll all just be one feedback loop.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, some of this stuff. I mean, it's blowing my mind. And never never thought about what you just said. This whole um, how they want to create all these labels to categorize us and what we do online, because that's exactly you know how the machines will. Cause otherwise they can't quantify these things. Right. And so that, that's, 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 <laughs> that's crazy. Um, well,
1: let me add to that real quick, because this is part of my process and how I figured this out or learned about even just, you know, not on this journey. And so I used to work for a company that partnered, it was, an, it was an online tutoring company and it partnered with IBM's Watson and this particular company, uh, they would you had to you had to provide the lesson in a very rigid format. There was about five steps, and then within each of those steps, there was certain uh, certain elements of the lesson, and you know it was proprietary. So I don't want to say more than I need to and, and get in trouble somehow, right? But when I when they when they told me that IBM's Watson was going to pilot co-pilot with me, I'm going like, so this thing is going to like learn what I'm doing so it can mimic it. So basically I'm digging my grave. This thing is going to replace me. But when I thought about that, I was like, oh, that's why the lesson plan is so standardized and rigid. Because if everybody did their own style and their own thing, it's not going to know, it's not going to be able to recognize the patterns for the machine learning, right? And so it needs those those pre-categories to fit the the, the other premises I- inside of and so so yeah i just i
0: just wanted to, to add that yeah that was actually just my, my my next question so um just a few months ago you know my last teaching contract finished and for different reasons i, I kind of i don't if if i can't avoid it i want to i don't want to go back to education just because um it's been tough you know fighting kind of, you can feel like you're fighting against the title wave with the kids these days who are kind of like uh, woke and, and they're, they're brainwashed into the wrong way of of thinking. And now all of these policies that are, these globalist policies that are coming into the um, schools. And for many years, this was like more than f- like five years ago, I was jokingly, half jokingly, half uh, honestly telling my, my own kids, I'm like, uh, pretty soon, you know, I'm going to be out of a job with this whole fourth industrial revolution. And, and, and now it's actually, I think, becoming a, a real possibility. You've just been describing it. You know, we're getting AR now, augmented reality uh, VR, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, uh, AI, you know, these gamification technologies, these ready-made online uh, courses, uh, I don't see anything stopping them really from just getting rid of human teachers and just telling all everyone from here on out, you know, they can make an online module Coursera style with, you know, the best teacher who will teach hundreds if not thousands uh, of students who will take the course online so we don't even need physical uh, schools anymore and this would kind of be like a global global educational model so every country would kind of be have their young people students taking this same global digital online uh, program yeah you know, how, how do you see this going forward um this kind of thing will teachers uh, be replaced completely by by these systems? How soon? And you know, would it be like a monolithic global structure that would go to every country?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's I don't know that they'll be totally phased out. Certainly not anytime very soon. But but what they will be is converted into basically data managers and platform managers. Like you won't be interacting with the student in, in any authentic or, or human way. Um, and so, you know, as you as you know, you've, you've got some experience with this. Uh, you know, you've got your learning, your LMS, your learning management system. So that's like your Blackboard, your Canvas, uh, D2L, or Desire to Learn. Okay. And then that's, you set up these modules and then you can put all these other um, apps in there. So they've got these uh what's called adaptive learning applications. And that's, these are automated feedback and it's literally, you can just, you can look it up. It's, it's ubiquitous. It's ubiquitously agreed that that stuff is literally the modern digital version of the scare box. Okay. Uh, and, but, but now what they've also got and, and some of those examples, those would be like dream box, Leap, smart sparrow, uh, clever and Newton K N E. W-T-O-N, both of which are financed by uh, Bilderberger, Peter Thiel. Um, so so those are like your your adaptive learning apps. But then they have these things called intelligent agents. Now, you know, until they get to like artificial general intelligence, where you have something that is like humanoid and can respond to any sort of question a student asks and do it relatively um, organically, uh, organically, right? Um you know the the, the the teacher will always be necessary to facilitate all the data that comes in, right? Or to aggregate it uh, and to and to manage. So you know, if you if you meant if you noticed, um, you know, they'll have like all these like group analytics in there, like pie graphs, bar graphs, and you know, it's like you know, Jimmy's in the median, but you know, Billy's on the top, and you know, Susie's on the bottom, right? And then so I guess I guess what at that point, what the teacher's job would be. Is you know, Billy's at the top, he's good. Uh, you know, people in the middle, they need a little extra help. People on the bottom, you know, you'll spend more time. And this is where they say it's individualized uh or personalized. But I, you know, when they started moving in the in this direction when they put us on these platforms, I I told people, I said, look, like like this is gonna go into almost phasing out teachers. And it, it might eventually, right? I mean, it, you know, it might just be that you know people are just going to be batteries you know and basically little little data hubs and you'll just be you'll have your wearables like your brain coat EEG helmet you'll have your galvanic skin response monitor you have your smart shirt and you'll have your VR goggles you'll do a gamified application you're working with this avatar who's close to artificial general intelligence and then basically the the product of that isn't that you're going to like actually be learning skills to Act out in the real world, but they're going to just be data mining your psychology and your biometrics in ways so that they can basically refine how they want to uh re-engineer human beings, you know, for this transhumanist movement. And you know, eventually it could be post-humanist, which is, you know, effectively like you've merged so much with with the machines that you know that what what humanity uh, is is left, right? And so uh, at this at the college. Um, you know that they, now they've finally said this semester, right? What one of the community colleges where I teach, I teach at two of them uh, and bounce around at others, depending on, you know, when I classes for semesters, enrollment, and all that type of stuff. Um, they they want to integrate intelligent agents now, right? And so we're getting we're, we're moving from the adaptive learning app to something that's getting closer to that AGI, um, you know, and 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 eventually like sooner than later I and mean, it's it's already close to that like you know I, I gotta say when i teach virtually unless there's a synchronous component where i have to interact with the students even though they're they don't have to put their cam- cameras on so i actually don't see maybe maybe one or two that'll share and then what'll happen though is because nobody else has it on like after about a week or two and they stop sharing it too so uh that's about the most human interaction I get. Otherwise I'm just managing the modules. I'm scoring stuff. I give them some feedback uh, and um, you know, but eventually if they, if, if, if they can, and, and I'm very skeptical about whether or not they can achieve artificial general intelligence. Sometimes I think that that is, it's sort of a uh, hype to sort of like make you like, you know, awe at their, the power of their technology, which sort of makes you comply with it. Like, Oh, it's just so much better than a human being, no errors. And they can think faster and process so much information. Uh, but if they do go down that riot route, then yeah, you, you would be in something that's, you know, would be more post-human than transhuman. And there's only one other way that we use the, the root to that word post-human. And that is in the term posthumous or posthumous meaning dead. Right, And so, uh, you know, but, but I, 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 my, uh, uh, my, I speculate that, that is, that's more propaganda just to get you on board with what they call dumb AI or weak AI, which is these, these very narrow apps that like one that targets your cognitive behavioral algorithms, one that targets your socio-emotional algorithms, right? And one for workforce, one for healthcare and, and so forth.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think it is hype. I don't think they'll ever get to the the AI they talk about, and it's just to get us into these basic control systems that, that you're talking about. You know, my favorite LMS uh, is was uh, Schoology. I, I use that uh, a lot, and I've heard other people say that uh, you know other smart analysts, thinkers say that schools will kind of decrease and decline, and um, people will be just be taught by these online systems, but that the the wealthy Will be the ones who will still uh, go to real schools with real human teachers and other with real students for uh, because they'll cost more they'll be able to afford it um, for the purpose of social socialization uh, as well as maybe higher uh, standard of learning while the rest you know the, the the people who are not wealthy just take on these computer digital online remote systems um is there any other issue you want to bring up or you know how to resist um survive it in, in this kind of system i see one solution being the creation of alternative uh, systems you know there's a lot of people doing homeschooling now there's people creating alternative uh schools or you know edu- uh, um, universities or educational institutions or well, what are your thoughts going forward
1: yeah i um you know I wrote the book. It, was, it got published uh, October 2019, so just a few months before all this uh, craziness uh, happened, right? And at the time, you know, I was hoping that I thought, well, I have about ten years to like explain what's gonna, what's coming down the pipe. And I'll sound crazy at first, but the closer we get, you know, people will see, hey, he was talking about that, and then you know, slowly I'll get people on board. And we'll build some momentum, and then you know, and nobody will want to go along with this. What's you know, and then COVID happens and then it's like you know, the fear, you know, that, that, oh, you know, we're all going to, you know, get a disease and die has largely just, you know, got people, you know, hook, hook line and sinker, sinker with it. So, so at the time when I wrote that, it was largely, uh, you know, I, I, it's a defense of public education. Right? I mean, I've been in public education my whole life. Um, you know, and I do think that there should be like, you know, public services, right? Like, I mean, to the extent that we have taxes, you know what I mean? Like it should come back to people in some way, you know, uh, and I don't think that a public system has to be like a government or a state system. I do think there's ways to, to do that through, you know, uh, collective bargaining and, you know, union organizations. I'm not, I'm, I'm active in my union, although, you know, locally it's, you know, it's better than, you know, when you go up the chain nationally but now with the um you know with the with the mandates and stuff like i i don't know that i can uh can really defend the, the public education system in that way i mean like it's it's just it's 100 percent on board and and they're not just trying to to you know put these experimental shots in the teachers that would be one thing You're, they're going now want to go down to five-year-olds you know um you know i would if if, if i was a parent I, and me and my wife are not are not uh able to have kids so you know i mean i i don't know what it's like you know but if i did i would my guess would be i'd get them as far away from there as possible and you know the only other option maybe maybe there's some private schools that you could go to if you if you could afford it where they somehow are able to skirt um the mandates but but otherwise i would have to say that uh homeschooling is going to be your your best option and you know that by the way not Not virtual homeschooling. Don't bring don't bring the uh, public, private, corporate government partnership into your house. Don't bring the the federal curriculum with the corporate technology into your house. I mean, because that's all you're doing. And now instead of them paying for the building and the lights and everything that needs to go on there, now you're basically just footing the bill for them and still still you know they're learning the same thing and you're giving them the data okay so you know there there are uh all sorts of ways uh, curriculums that, that are not digital they're not virtual um you know I have a friend named Andy libson he's a uh, he's a uh, teacher in California and one of the things that he was doing was uh, uh and this was you know i don't want to say at the height of the lockdowns but it was you know it was during wasn't during that little that brief period we had this summer when everything kind of chilled out but he he was taking kids with permission from the parents and the parents came they would all they would do a little thing at the park and he was showing how to build electrical circuits in the park right and like having these little you know i think they're called homeschooling pods although that's not really homeschooling that's sort of like a outdoor one-room schoolhouse so to speak um but like I think those are the the options. Those are the those are the alternatives. So you know, homeschooling your, your children, finding other parents who are collaborating with those parents. You know, I know a lot of people think they feel like, well, I don't have a teaching degree, or you know, I wasn't so good in school myself. I'm not qualified to teach. Well, then learn with the student, as you and I both just talked about at the beginning of this, right? I mean, yes, learning is lifelong, and genuine learning is autodidactic, meaning you're, you're teaching yourself. So like, I couldn't think of a, of a, a better uh, model, honestly, that, that we you know, where you and the child are learning together uh, and, you know, and bonding in the meantime. Um, and so uh, those are the alternatives and, you know, any, and in any totalitarian system, you know, when it gets to the point where, you know, you sort of miss your window to stop it from happening what it, the, the next viable option at that point is parallel structures, and and that means right finding ways like you know to get off of that system. And and these right now, I mean, you know, me and my friend Andy, we've talked a lot about it. You know, and one thing we agree is we we don't have all the answers. We don't know what it will look like, but we do know that these are the options that we need to try to start to cultivate and and build upon um and so you know if you're a teacher and you didn't want to get that jam, and you're um uh you should try to network with other teachers and find those homeschool parents and then you all can partner up and maybe do you know network in terms of that you could be a in-house tutor you know or you know we could use some of this uh some of the 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 teleconferencing you know not not you know all the apps and the data mining but you could teleconference if you if you're, you know, not local, and and we are rather scattered. But those are the things that we're we're piecing together. Um, There's a group called uh, uh, students and workers for choice that uh, largely is uh, facilitated by Andy. And you know, I'm part of it. And there's a lot of other teachers there we we meet on Tuesdays. Uh, Maybe I could send you the link to that. And there's a Telegram page for it. And so you can come there, maybe uh swap ideas organize um and i also personally i'm what i what i want to do this, i got to get through this semester because this has been a whirlwind but but i want to start offering my services as we'll call it a um a language arts consultant meaning you know i'm, I'm gonna i want to stay as far away from any uh any any language that would potentially put me under the, the you know re- regulatory uh, authorities of department of ed so uh, but any any language arts skills you need help with, you and you and or your children, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be trying to offer such services either through Zoom. I'm gonna start making some just some free resources that I'll have on my website, uh, and I, I, I really plan to get a lot of that started in December at the end of the semester. So so those are sort of you know things you can do locally in your own communities, uh, either as parents of children or students or teachers and you know i'm hoping that other people will sort of do you know what i'm what i'm planning on doing other teachers uh and you know we could build this this uh, parallel structure and then maybe maybe with that you know maybe then the schools will stop being uh, totalitarian And, and then maybe i'll consider you know uh, uh defending or or being more open to maybe maybe we can go back there one day once they uh once they get off this but in the meantime it's probably going to be a better system just to do it at home uh and be part of the process with your children and people that uh, are like-minded so
0: yeah i've been talking about parallel structures for the last number of episodes the the most recent with sam jacobs and matt smith because and we're forced to. We're forced to do this now. We're in this totalitarian system, and that's the only immediate solution uh, I can think of. As you said, we've kind of passed the point of no return with the totalitarianism. Everyone's going along. All right. Well, next, build the parallel structures to try to survive and and thrive uh, as well, because you know we, a lot of oppor- new opportunities come our way. And homeschooling, you mentioned, if it's legal, right? Uh, in Germany, homeschooling is illegal. Uh, in Croatia, where I was planning to live, it's not legal, let's say. And so some countries, hopefully, they don't make it illegal. <laughs> hopefully, the, And France actually just like some months ago cracked down on, on homeschooling. They passed a law that restricted even further homeschooling. So hopefully that trend doesn't uh, continue. And you mentioned as well, students now being forced to take uh, the experimental therapies. Um, this, again, the school where I worked um, here in Mexico, like the biggest private school, most expensive um, they're now forcing next semester students to get uh, injected. So even many private schools are, are going that route. So, um, so your website is schoolworldorder.info. You're on Twitter. Uh, I think you just mentioned you opened a, a Telegram channel. So is there any, any other website or project? Uh, and you're, you also write for unlimitedhangout.com. Whitney website. Uh, any other website or project for us to know about? Uh, you know, the only
1: thing I guess I might note is I you know I'm trying to do. More video reports because I know a lot of people don't read or don't have time to read, and I understand that because you know it's it's hard for me to read everything I'd like to. So so I've got a YouTube. Who knows how long that's going to stay up? But the bit shoot, you know, I, I got that. I'm going to try to get on Odyssey and thing But so you can go there for video reports, and then uh you know if you if you want to support my research because one one of the things I'm trying to do is as an adjunct, I you know I have to teach double load. And, you know, every, all this stuff that I do is in the wee hours of the morning and I could do more of it. And I think that it would be more helpful to the students and the education system for me to get my research out. So if you can, and I know that this is a crazy time and probably, you know, all these people lost their jobs, but if you, if you can, you know, uh, there's, a I have a database on there that's got all the documents that Charlotte Thompson Gizzardby gave me. It was 36 file cabinets full. Gave It took me 100 hours just to pull it out. And so I upload new documents every week with a little summary. Uh, and then I also break down, uh, you know, it's, it's a 3D database that's basically illustrates all the connections, all the names, figures, facts, historical dates, all tied together with documents. And so you can kind of get a visual sense of it. And, uh, you know, you can get some really rare documents that you can't get anywhere else. So it's, I, I, it's $5 a month. That's like, you know, what is it, less than 50 cents a, a week or something like that, or, or, or rather than uh, less than 50 cents a day or something like that. And so if you can, uh, that'll help me to do more of this and, and uh, do, more, do more research. But that's that is on my, uh, that's, that's on my uh, website. So you can go to the database there and, and subscribe if, if you can.
0: All right. Be sure to follow John uh, on his website, Twitter, support him if you can on the Patreon. Get his book. He is the go-to guy on technocracy and, and education. John Taylor Ghetto Jr. Thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire.
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page and Reddit has been The leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.